Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Carrie. And thanks for joining us. So it is the middle of August. We're sitting here in the Sandbox studio. Uh, it's like strangely cold outside, which I think means that maybe summer is coming to a close. I think summer may be coming to an end and fall is around the corner, which yeah. I am personally very excited for. Yeah, it's it's an okay season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that also means with the ending of summer that Dave is coming back. That's true. Which, I mean, I saw Dave here at Sandbox headquarters for like 30 seconds before he left for sabbatical. <laughs> so I'm excited to hang out with him again. Yeah, uh, we're excited to hear what he has to uh, to share with us, what he's learned. And I know that that's going to be informing a lot of episodes coming up this fall. So get excited about that. Yeah, stay tuned for that. But for today's episode, we want to share a conversation that Chris and Dave had with Ruthie Kolb. Ruthie is the director and owner of Kindling Communication, where they do work around human sexuality and consulting as a sex educator. And as you'll hear Ruthie explained uh, throughout this conversation, we often think of sex education with a pretty narrow scope. And we were joking, you know, like that scene in Mean Girls. If you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But it's much more than what we learned in those awkward classes in middle school. Uh, conversations around human sexuality span identity decision-making, and spirituality, and they're conversations that happen at every age. So with that, welcome to Sandbox episode 88, Kindling Communication. Welcome to the Sandbox. My name is Ruthie. I use they, them pronouns. I am lots of things as humans are. Um, I think I'm here because I'm a sex educator, but I'm also a person who grew up in a Christian faith community, does a lot of work with Christian communities around sex education. I'm also a crafter, a mom, an athlete, all the other things that make up a person cool. in their time. And you're also, you're involved with Kindling Communication? Correct. So that's the business that I own. I okay. do consulting as a sex educator. Okay. So what does that look like? What uh, what kinds of things are you trying to uh, share with people? What Maybe what situations do you run into or who do you work for or with? Um, it really runs the gamut. My work with Kindling Communication is that I help people have conversations about sexuality across the life spectrum. So I work with people from young children learning to talk about like bodies and body autonomy and body safety. Do a lot of work with middle school and high schoolers teaching in schools or in after school programs and churches, other places like that, helping people have conversations about sexuality and development and values and bodies and relationships and all those things. And then I also work with, sometimes I work with college students and do sex ed in dorm rooms uh, with um, some of the local schools. I'll go into their dorms and say, like, now that you're out of your parents' house and you're developing who you are as an adult um, and what your decision making looks like, how do we talk about sexuality mm -hmm. now? Um, and then I do work with adults. I have, I do workshops with adults on how to talk to young people about sexuality. So parents, mm -hmm. I do a lot of teacher training, training with other people who are, again, like after school programs, boys and girls clubs, mentorship programs, helping them have conversations with young people about sexuality. But I also do work with adults on how to talk about your own sexuality. I've done a lot of work with churches because a lot of us were raised in sort of a shaming sexuality culture. 
and trying to help adults reconnect spirituality and sexuality. Because in some cases, those two parts of ourselves, though they should be theoretically quite integrated, as part of a whole person, they became severed in the way that sexuality was mm-hmm. talked about when right. we were younger. And so helping people reconnect spirituality and sexuality, or think about as an adult, like, what influences my decisions? How do I, how do I continue to process and become like a fully functional sexual being? And that um, can take all sorts of forms of conversations because yeah. it seems that sometimes we, when we have sex education as like a teen, people then think, oh, now you know everything. You're good to go. <laughs> you got but it. it turns out like what, what you needed to know at 16 isn't what you needed to know at 25 or 40 or 60 mm-hmm. as our bodies change and our relationships change and our understanding of the world changes. And we need spaces to be able to talk about that. Um, so that's what I do with adults and in through senior citizens. Wow. So you, you've done, have you done any workshops specifically with senior citizens then? Or, I mean, like, have you, I mean, I'm imagining you going to the nursing home and <laughs> let, let her rip, you know? You know what? I haven't done that yet. Uh-huh. And I would so love to do that. Yeah. Uh, but if that's a pop, that's like a target <laughs> for me. There are different ways that in different stages of development, we desexualize people. Yeah. Um, and we, and we stigmatize their sexuality. And I think there are certain populations with whom we do that in particular, and it becomes really detrimental to their health and to their mental and physical health. I think senior citizens is one of the places where it would be, where that is particularly true. Sure. You know, we were talking earlier about uh, one of the, you know, the the mission of this podcast is to knock down walls with curiosity and conversation. And Mm -hmm. that seems to be exactly what you're doing as well. And, you know, I was just imagining you going to a church. And as you said, you know, the culture around sexuality in church is, uh, it's been taboo in in many different kinds of communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm wondering... uh, you know, you, you got to have some some stories about what you've encountered <laughs> when you've gone in there, or resistance, or what what what's it, what's what are right. those things like? Well, I think it's kind of funny because I think a lot of people assume that when we talk about sex education, we're talking about how to have sex, and so I, I very frequently um, find that when I go into communities and people are really expecting pushback, mm-hmm. I've I found that once I start speaking and they realize that what I'm talking about is helping people determine what their who they are and what their internal deciding factors are and mm-hmm. who influences their values and helping people like really navigate their own landscape around sexuality suddenly people's defenses are mm-hmm. fall down and they're like oh this right. is a conversation that we need to be having mm-hmm. and it isn't about like Whatever yeah. people seem what, to think what, it's what, about, where I'm about. like, here's how you use a condom. Everyone go have sex. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really not like, that's not what's happening in sex right. education. Mm-hmm. And I think right. a lot of people don't maybe fully understand mm-hmm. that. I mean, I think even, um, so I met you at the ELCA, National Youth Gathering, where there were about 30,000 teens mm-hmm. gathered. Um, and I had a sex education booth there with um, some other folks who are helping me facilitate. And um, there are a couple things to be said about that experience. But one of them was that um, we had come in prepared to talk about all different types of, all different pieces of sex education from healthy relationships to also having parts of where the information was around birth control to where the information was 
spirituality and sexuality um, and sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. We had all sorts of different education sort of modules and interactive activities planned. Um, And I think sometimes when we would, I would see adults come up who were just like really uncomfortable when we would start birth control activity or something right. being like, are we really going to do that here? I don't know. This isn't what we're, I don't know. This is a youth gathering. Are we really going to talk about that here? And as soon as we would start talking about birth control and framing it as like a lot of people use birth control for a lot of different reasons that don't involve controlling birth. Right. right. We use birth control to regulate hormonal cycles or because people have body, body dysphoria around having around menstruating or because um, of mood stuff, or because they have other medical conditions. And in some cases, people use birth control to not get pregnant, but it's just general life knowledge. You might Mm -hmm. not ever need it, but it could be helpful to you someday. It could be helpful to you now, and you might be able to use it to help a friend. Right. And once you frame it like that, and it's not like, here's what you're going to take today so you don't get pregnant tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is just like, this is just ni- life knowledge. Right. And how do, and start mm-hmm. asking questions of how do I make a decision about when I or a friend might need to know this information or might need to use this information? How can I help other people out with this information? It, it suddenly people like really de escalate and they're like, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's true. Right, right. <laughs> that's okay. So, and this this is kind of an interesting question that we've talked about a little bit, but so you were at this youth gathering, that the same one that you, you mentioned earlier, uh-huh. and uh, from what we understand, your faith community actually helped pay for you to be there. Right. So I'm curious how that conversation happened and what that means. What's that? What's that all about? I think there were several things happening at once in our faith community. Um, so I come from House for All Sinners and Saints, or Half-Ass, as we call it <laughs> for nice. short, though. And, and they're the ones who paid for me to attend the youth gathering. Um, and I had, so one, I already was working as a sex educator and has have been for years when Half-Ass asked me to do some workshops. I did a series of four workshops with their adults to talk about sexuality. Three of them were about for adults talking about your own sexuality. And one of them was for adults on how to talk to your children about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that had happened in the last year. And then around, I'm not sure exactly when she started, but Nadia Boltz Weber, who used to be the pastor of Half-Ass, um, at some point had started writing her book about sexuality. And so that was also sort of on her radar. And then simultaneously someone had mentioned to me and I'm not even really remembering who like started the conversation. Somebody had said like, well, if they gather 30,000 teens together at this youth gathering and then like, really we should be having a space to talk about sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of, I don't even know where and how the thought originated, but it was like, well, we'll just submit to them that we could do this and see what they say. Um, And it took quite a while, but we eventually heard back from the youth gathering folks that said like, you can come, the stipulations were that I could come, but I couldn't hand out condoms. And so. (laughs) You draw your line somewhere, I guess. uh, Yeah. And so that is um, early on, there was, it was kind of unknown exactly who and how it was going to be working out. Like I didn't know if I was going to go and fund it as my own business 
Um, but then House for All Sinners and Saints, their sort of church board elders mm-hmm. group voted on it and said that they would collect, they would do fundraising and collect funds for me to go so that um, it wasn't something, that, so that it was sort of funded by them. Right. Because they supported it. Um, and so I collected um, another friend who is a therapist um, and does a lot of work around identity. And then I, and another friend who is a sex educator who is a former attendee of Half-Ass that lives in Seattle. And the three of us went to the youth gathering and did our darndest. <laughs> did, did your thing. <laughs> did our thing. So, yeah. so it, it's interesting to me as you're, as you're explaining this a little bit, um, even in this large church body, which I consider to be on the more progressive end of mainline mm-hmm. denominations, mm-hmm. Uh, there's still a misunderstanding and a misperception about what sex education is and about what you're bringing to the table. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious, I'm just curious if you have any insight or, or thoughts more about that, that um, it seems like an organization that on some level might know better and might be able to share resources, but for some reason there is still this disconnect. Yeah. Well, and I think so much of it is rooted in how how the church has typically done sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I find that a lot of progressive churches, churches tend to fall into like one of two buckets when they talk about sexuality. Well, three. Actually, I'm going to say there are three buckets. The first being they have like a, we're going to do abstinence only sort of, here's your pledge conversations around Mm -hmm. sexuality. And which is what I was raised with as well. I have a diamond ring from my dad from a true love waits ceremony. That's the sort of one bucket. That's traditionally how the church did sexuality. It was talking about purity, talking about virginity, these sorts of concepts. Mm -hmm. The second bucket that I see some churches, some, a lot of progressive churches falling into is that they say like, we don't really want to do that. We see that there's some like challenges and harms that have been done to people around teaching abstinence only until marriage sorts of things, that there's sort of a shaming sexuality culture around that. And I should be clear as I say this, that I actually am a big proponent of, for the record, I am, I do think that it is important to talk about abstinence. Um, I just think the way that abstinence has been talked about has Mm, been harmful. Um, So I'm not saying that like abstinence is a part of the sexuality conversation. Um, It just is, has been done in a harmful shaming way. Mm. So the second bucket being that progressive churches have said like, Oh, this, the conversations that have been had around and churches around sexuality have actually like really harmed a number of people but we don't know what to do instead. And so what we're going to do is nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're like, we don't know how to talk about this. This is, it's too much. We don't want to harm people, but we don't want to say anything goes. And so like, what is the thing in between and how do we have like a, how do we have a spiritual conversation about sexuality? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third bucket that I see some churches doing is doing conversations around sexuality but having them be somewhat separate from their spirituality. So mm-hmm. saying, okay, we're, we are going to talk about sexuality and we're going to do this comprehensive sort of curriculum around it, but they don't ever 
then tie it back and say like, so why does what we believe matter? How do we like still combine these things? So they're like, we're going to talk about it, but we can't do it. We really can't figure out how to like bridge the thing between like our religious beliefs and our sexuality, but we're at least going to talk about it. And those are kind of the three places I see churches fall. And it's really hard that I don't find a lot of people in a lot of places where people are saying, my spirituality does matter and it mm-hmm. does affect my sexuality. And like what we believe in is really important to how we make sexual decisions and how we think about our sexuality and how we like process it. That's a hard conversation. It's a hard conversation mm-hmm. to figure out because people really want us to like take like here are the old rules that hurt people right. and harmed some people. And so we need to modify them so they work for everybody. So just give me new rules. Right. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it doesn't work that way. It would be so easy if it did. <laughs> I know though. <laughs> but like lots of life, there's just so yeah. much. It's not mm-hmm. really about the rules. It's about like the showing up in the way we experience ourselves and the way we experience our beliefs and mm-hmm. our and those things instead. But it sounds like the work that you're doing and, and trying to do is is trying to hopefully create that space for that conversation that can engage the ideas, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. How maybe how do you see uh, beliefs, your your personal spiritual or, or faith beliefs, influencing some of these conversations, or what kinds of questions are you asking so that people can uh, make sense of this for themselves? I think, I mean, one of the first things is helping, the first pieces is helping us dissect what it was that we learned about our sexuality as we were developing, about our bodies, about how we related to other people. What, what was it that we learned? Mm-hmm. And what of that feels and felt whole and healthy and life-giving to us? And what of that didn't what of that missed the mark and the first step is that we have to take a look at like where is our background where have we come from and what has brought us life and what has brought us death what has what has caused us to kill parts of ourselves Hmm. for myself as a person who is queer i a lot of the teachings of the church in my childhood caused death to parts of myself i had to choose between my spirituality and my sexuality and between the community and the beliefs of the community that I grew up with and between my experiences of myself. And I chose to kill parts of myself Mm -hmm. for a long time. And so that's a place where we have to start is recognizing. um, And even for folks who aren't queer, there are lots of other ways that the the teachings of the church have harmed people, have, Mm -hmm. have done a disservice to Everything from the from the way that relationships are taught around gender roles to the way sometimes abstinence conversations can really shame people who've experienced sexual assault to and the way that a lot of church communities and the way we talk about sexuate, sexuality even perpetuate systems in which sex, sexual assault can occur because it perpetuates systems of like silence and unspeakability of sexuality. And so we have to so we have to look backward and see like what are the things what are the pieces of that that brought life and what are the pieces of that that brought death mm-hmm. to my development mm-hmm. to our development. Um so a, a lot of it starts with having to deal with our own stuff 
Um, and that's a continual process for me as a sex educator is looking at um, when I'm in front of a room of people and things come up for them. I mean, I'm a person I have, or like things, you know, someone asks a question. I'm a person. I have emotional responses to those things and having to sort through which of that is my stuff that I'm not trying to hand over to another generation of people, right? to another mm -hmm. room full of people. I have to like metabolize my own stuff before I can teach other people <laughs> because either intentionally or unintentionally, they'll see on my face what I'm actually going through <laughs> yeah. when they ask those questions. So I have to metabolize that first and process it so that I can come up, be facilitating other people as a whole person myself. Mm -hmm. The beginning of my answer, <laughs> to my long-winded answer <laughs> to the question um, is looking backward um, and looking at where we've come from and what has made us. And then also looking currently, looking at um, how do we function in our current relationships. I think it's, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll leave conversations with folks about how their spirituality shows up currently in their friendships and in romantic relationships it's often people very easily but with like important depth can mm. point to ways in which they exercise their spiritual experiences and their spiritual beliefs with their friendships and with their romantic relationships how they care for other people how they love other people mm -hmm. and when I turn that conversation to sexuality I basically hear a room full of like people's brains going <laughs> where they've like i swear i can like see their brain suddenly short <laughs> where right. they're like what those are not the uh, <laughs> and i think that's really interesting i think that's really sad i think like it's mournful mm -hmm. like that the way that we've developed our thoughts around sexuality and that form of relating to other people we can think of how we serve people in friendships and how we like love people in our romantic relationships. And when it comes to our sexuality and we say like, how does your spirituality show up in the way that you relate to your own sexuality, whether by yourself or with another person, um, suddenly our brains are like, those synapses are broken. I don't have those. Mm -hmm. Where are they? It takes monitoring those experiences for and looking for, wait, where do I see life Again, where do I see places that life and connection are showing up in my sexuality yeah. here and now? Like, how do I follow that life, that joy, that love, that connection? And what does that tell me? How, how does my spirituality influence this? And how does it counter influence my, spiritu my spirituality in our, current, in, in mm -hmm. our current experiences of ourselves? Right. You know, it there's there's something to what you're saying that that I'm hearing. You're asking them to have a countercultural conversation, something that they're not supposed to talk about. Uh, mm -hmm. Because at Thanksgiving, you definitely don't talk about God, sexuality, or money or politics, right? right? <laughs> so we could throw money right. and politics into this conversation. It would it would get even right? <laughs> right? It would up right. the ante a little bit, but right? But <laughs> you know those those synapses aren't going to fire because we mm -hmm. just. 
uh, we've they've become taboo. But I think part of what's right. if, if if I'm hearing you correctly, I think part of what's going on there is that it's one of the many places that we have. Uh, taken a particular topic and sort of disconnected it from the rest of our being. I think we do yeah. that. We do that with politics, right? We say, right. "Well, I I'm not going to talk about Facebook or talk about politics on Facebook because I don't mm-hmm. like that's not me there." Or I, I'm not going to talk about money because I don't want that to influence. Or I'm not going to talk about my sexuality. But the reality is that all of these things are part of kind of our whole experience. And, mm-hmm. they, and they ought to work together, right? I mean, if right. we if we want to care about someone, we ought to care about them in a way that uh, is our 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 time, our energy, our our money, if appropriate, our sexuality as appropriate, right? All of these things right. should be connected, but it seems like they aren't, right. or we've told ourselves that they're not. I guess, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I see a pattern in our culture, particularly around Christian culture that we have taboos around anything that brings pleasure. And so that includes sexuality, obviously, yeah. but it also includes things like money, food, power. We end up with these like really messed up relationships around things that are pleasurable because Christianity has a history, particularly recent history of not being able to deal with pleasure. Like the body is something to be mastered, to be beaten down. And then we end up with these really messed up relationships to money, um, whether we have it or don't have it, Mm -hmm. how we use it, how we talk about it, to food, to sex, and to other Mm -hmm. lots of other things. And they become unspeakable topics when they're the very things that we need to be exposing and really deciding like where is their health and where is mm-hmm. their where is again where is their life and where is their death in this and and fully talking about them i was just thinking about you you brought up the this idea of, of where is their life in this and where is their death in this mm-hmm. and you talked about some of your experience of yeah there's 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 parts of you that that died in in, in mm-hmm. your upbringing in the church and I feel like I've been asking this question a lot lately, but why did you stay or why are you still in the conversation? What what about it has allowed you to continue to be in it? That's, I, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and then the way of being in it changes over time as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the big things is community and mm-hmm. community just fills my being whenever I experience it. I remember I took a sabbatical from church for a while uh, when I had small children because there wasn't a place that, for lots of reasons, Uh (laughs) Um, wrangling identity, thinking, uh, being in Indiana, um, and and not being able to find a church where I could really show up in all the messiness, and having kids who, you know, just talked their whole way through the service. So I spent my time shoving crackers in their mouths and like, (laughs) and being like, be quiet. And I was like, nobody's enjoying this. I couldn't tell you what happened today. Nobody had fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, so why am I doing this again? Um, I spent, so there was a period of time of, um, spending Sunday mornings with the kids at Barnes and Noble playing with the train station. That was our church while I drank coffee. But I remember reading a blog post by someone at that time that said something about um, how like no church fit 
and the struggle of not being able to find a community that fit. And, uh-huh. but it kept re- the blog post kept repeating, but who will bring me casserole when I have a baby? And I was at the time also going through like my own illness, the period, like seven months of being quite sick mm-hmm. and in and out of the hospital and be, like really needing someone to bring me a casserole. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, I experienced a church community once that, um, that really changed my world. And I think that's part of what kept me staying. I lived in Switzerland in Geneva, Switzerland for three years okay. and went to a church called the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Geneva. At the time, it was pastored by this amazing, fiery Brazilian woman. It was an English-speaking church. In Geneva, there were just a couple few English-speaking churches. There was one that was Pentecostal, and there was one that was Catholic, and there was this Lutheran church. Okay. And so if you were in Geneva, and English was a better language for you than French, or if you just wanted to speak English, mm-hmm. or you whatever, mm-hmm. This was the church that you went to. So it wasn't like it was an American church or a British church. It was Mm -hmm. like a Kiwi lesbian couple with their children sitting right next to an African family in head coverings. Mm -hmm. And the whole church was like, it's full of like, you just are going to have to figure it out and stay in the conversation because this is the only place you can go. Mm -hmm. Like you don't get to say like, I disagree with you. I'm leaving. I'm going to this other church over here. Right, right. You just have to be like, you know what? This is the only community I've got. Here we are. Yeah. And people believed any number of things along a spectrum of all types. Right, <laughs> and right. you had to, you just stayed in the conversation. And that church showed up for me um, in a time where I was starting to really say, if God doesn't have grace for the real internal struggles of people, then I don't have time. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't believe in a God. If that sends, if this sends me and other people to hell, then I can't believe in that God mm-hmm. right. because this is too painful. And that church showed up for me, showed up just at that moment where I was ready to say like, okay, well then we're done. And being able to sit in a place where people said like, God could be lots of different things and that's okay, but we're here. I'd say that that's a place that really kept me in the conversation and keeps me in conversations in other places because I know that that's possible. I, I've seen it. Yeah. Could it, could it be that that church also helped you deal with some you know, you talk about the parts of yourself that have died and the parts that are alive. Could it be that that church helped you either mourn those parts that have died or maybe even possibly resurrect some of those parts that have died? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just see that like there, there is some part of life that is just, that's bigger, that's transcendent and that, um, can fill in, in those painful places. Mm-hmm. When it comes to your, your, your work, people have lots of questions and they'll, they'll talk with you about it. What questions do you, what questions do you wish they would ask that they don't? Oftentimes people get caught up in the way in which when we talk about sexuality, again, as we have, we have poor, we often societally have poor frameworks for the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so oftentimes people either get caught up in the like, sort of, which are fun conversations, but they're like, they're like, what is the weirdest question you've been asked? And right. don't get me wrong. It's fun. I, right. I've been asked in like 
amazing questions over the years. Yeah. And so you can kind of get, it's almost becomes like the bachelor bachelorette party version of like talking mm. about my profession where it's <laughs> like, what are the like, what are the titillating details? Like what are the hilarious, <laughs> like how do we get to the, like past the discomfort that we have to the, like make this laughable or they get really stuck on the, like, what is the medical cor- medically correct thing to do here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times I'm working when I'm working with young people, people are just much more comfortable in a prevention zone than in a health zone. So they want to like, what are the public health techniques to preventing STDs and unintended pregnancy? Because that's what we need to do with young people. It's, mm-hmm. The reason we're doing this is we're preventing STDs and unintended pregnancy. And I really, I, w- I wish that people would come at these conversations with like, what is the thing that we can do to make the most whole and happy and well-developed people instead of the like i'm uncomfortable let's make the conversation funny which i love funny conversations (laughs) or i'm uncomfortable so let's make this very medical and like talk about how we like contain these things that are quote unquote bad and i would really love if hiv were not a thing so yes Mm -hmm. let's also like prevent HIV. Right. But I really wish that we would come at this and say like, how do we make sure that people are having the most whole and happy and life-giving sex, sexuality and sex experiences? Um, And we just can't, we're not, we're just often not quite yet there in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All the cultural taboos and baggage and stuff that's prevents prevents us from even asking that question. Uh, even having the space to ask that question. Yeah. Right. There's, um, a sexuality educator in, um, I think Pennsylvania, his name's Alvernaccio. He's kind of well known. He has this whole like pizza metaphor for talking about sex instead of using anyhow. (laughs) <laughs> you can look him up. He has TED Talks. He's, you know, um, he's a lovely person. And he will talk about, like, what if young people really knew that their, their like, parents and other influential adults in their, wa- in their lives were wanting them to have the best sexuality experiences? And that was the mm. source of the conversations that they were having, was that their parents really, and their caregivers and their other entrusted adults that the conversations were coming out of like, this is my, I just want you to have the best sexuality experiences, the most healthy and whole mm-hmm. experiences. Um, and how would those dynamics between those conversations be different? Another thing I would talk about um, possibly is at the youth gathering yeah, and the place that that served um, having a booth there mm-hmm. since that's how we met. Because it was something where uh, I and the other folks that went with me, we went in thinking that we were really having a booth around sort of sex ed and talking about sexuality, but in like a very broad sense, not in a particular sense. Um, and it was on a whim that we purchased. We, uh, so one of, one of the people who went with me uses gender neutral pronouns um, and we were sort of saying, well, I don't know to what extent, like maybe the gathering will do something around gender and identity and maybe not. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. And well, well, we could do something. And 
maybe not. So on a whim, we said like, well, it's not that horribly expensive to purchase a button maker and some parts and people could make their own buttons. Because mm-hmm. one of the challenges when you're talking pronouns is that you can have like she, her, hers, he, him, his, mm-hmm. they, them, theirs. And there are a few, like they're like top five pronouns that people use. And then there's like, then there are other pronouns that a person might use. And it's really otherizing to then say like, and we don't have a button for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are like, well, we could let people make their own buttons and proclaim whatever identities they want to put out there about themselves. Um, and it was sort of going to be the side thing while we were having conversations about sexuality in general. We'll have these conversations and on the side, you can make these buttons. Uh-huh. Um, and it turned out, one, that identity became the topic of hmm. the booth. That like, so I felt like we showed up to the youth gathering with this idea of what the what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And it was somewhere, it felt like we walked into the space thinking like, this is what we're doing. And it was like an old time movie where there's you know, a secret trap door where you pull on the lever and uh-huh. suddenly the whole room spins around and you're like in a completely different room than you mm-hmm. thought you were going to be yeah. in. And you're like, oh, this is what we're here to do. Yeah, yeah. And so I and the other two folks who were with me are all queer. Um, and our booth became about identity and it became, we were surrounded by young people who really just wanted to have the opportunity to talk about identity in a religious setting. And we did, we did a lot of some of the sexual health sort of things and other sexuality conversations as well, but it really spoke to the deep need that the church has in, um, in healing yeah. around identity mm-hmm. and the number i mean it was really overwhelming the number of folks the number of young people who had come up with their buttons you know and they'd like we were like pressing these buttons as fast as we could and we did i don't thousands and thousands <laughs> and thousands of buttons and we would have young people coming up with these buttons these little piece little rounds of paper being like this is how i'm coming out to my church group oh wow and we're mm-hmm. like okay what support do you need? How, how's it? Okay, have a good life. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, oh, oh my, my goodness gosh. gracious. Like, I'm just sending wow. all of you out there. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, but it, it really pointed to how badly we need to have conversations around the identity mm-hmm. in the church mm-hmm. and how, um, how desperate young people are for those healthy conversations in the church. Yeah. Um, and we came to talk about sexuality, but we really just spent our days. And I mean, we would have lines that was like deep where with a young person in front of us being like, okay, so I just have a question for you. And we would answer that question. We would talk to that person. And then the next, there was another young person just waiting behind them being like, okay, so I just have a question for you. Yeah. And that's, that's a deep wound and a deep need in the church Mm -hmm. that, has got to be addressed. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Um, and really and appreciate it. Your, your time and just, uh, just your work and is, is so important and connecting with kids around sexuality as a dad of, of two teenagers myself. Uh, huh. I appreciate what you're doing and, yeah. um, and, and well. the impact it's making. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
As Ruthie talked about their experience with a church community in Geneva, Switzerland, it seemed like a great picture of the rest of our conversation. In that community, not everyone believed the same things about God or likely had the same perspective on many things, but they showed up for Ruthie in important ways. Conversations around sexuality can be challenging, but perhaps it's no different than the rest of our life. We continue moving forward with what we know to be true of ourselves, learning new things as our experience changes, and asking others for advice, input, and help along the way. We all might believe different things, live a little differently, but at the end of the day, we show up as community and figure it out together. When it comes to the topic of human sexuality, as Ruthie said, we have often separated it from the rest of ourselves and from our spirituality. What might it look like if we began to piece it back together again and to provide people with the space to have honest conversations together rather than a new set of rules or just ignoring the topic? How can we help people experience the goodness in themselves and of their sexuality? What questions might we ask together? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And special thanks to Ruthie for taking some time to connect with us. If you want to stay up to date with all things going on in the Sandbox, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. You can also rate and review us on iTunes and join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there's always more room in the Sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.